Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Glad to have all of you with us today. Um, As I looked at the news this morning, uh, both reading uh, the newspapers and watching cable news, there there were two very different images which really struck me both of which were haunting and, in, in one case at least, absolutely horrifying. The, the, the horrifying image, of course, is the Afghans who have crowded the roads leading to the Kabul airport, trying to get out of the country to get to safety, many of them women and children, many of them people who had worked for uh, U.S. forces in Afghanistan and are now, some of whom are now on a list that the Taliban is apparently using to uh, go door to door to try to uh, find these people. So those images we've all seen, and I think all of us have been horrified by them. But there was another image which struck me as terribly haunting, and that was a picture of a long line of Afghan refugees who had just come off a military, U.S. military transport and landed on the tarmac in Spain. And I looked at this group wearing, in many cases, the women hijabs, wearing um, Islamic garment, garments, and, and I thought, these are people who are in a completely different world now, a world that's got to be disorienting to them. They've got to be wondering about their futures, where they're going to go next to find safety. And really, those two images are going to um, animate a portion of the show uh, on Political Rewind today. We'll talk about refugees, and uh, we have a terrific panel to do just that. First, let me introduce Kevin Riley. He, of course, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the boss, and uh, my partner on the Thursday show. Uh, Kevin, your newspaper, you have no lack of news to try to fit into the pages of the AJC these days. There sure are a lot of things going on, Bill, and unfortunately, some of them are very sad and tragic and affecting just regular people as opposed to the, you know, some of the high level politics that really is uh, just the sort of thing that's happening in Washington. We're also joined today by Donna Lowry, who is, of course, the host of GPB TV's Lawmakers. And um, Donna, you've become a relatively relatively frequent panelist on the show, which we're delighted by. Thanks for being here today. I'm always thrilled to be on the show with you, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Chuck Cook is back with us. Chuck Cook is acknowledged to be one of the top immigration attorneys in the country. Um, Of course, he does a lot of work with businesses who are looking for opportunities to go through the legal processes that are involved in trying to bring workers uh, to this country. But, uh, Chuck, you've also done an enormous amount of pro bono work and are on the ground talking to immigrants. You've worked with refugee communities. So it's a particular pleasure to have you here today. And to start us off with you you just want a big case in federal court, an immigration case. Give Just fill us in kind of quickly on that. Yeah, this is actually kind of exciting. Great to be with you again, and great to see my co-panelists again this beautiful day. Uh, yes, uh, two nights ago, a federal judge in uh, Washington, D.C., granted a case that we had sought um, initially against the Trump administration, but now against the Biden administration, 
in regards to uh, a, a group of visas called the Diversity Lottery. Yes, you can actually get a green card through a lottery in the United States. And the Trump administration had shut this lottery down, essentially, um, uh, both pre- and post-COVID. And yet, on Tuesday night, the federal judge ruled that we could recapture, that is, all the visas that were wasted during the fiscal year 2020 could now be used again. It's the first time it's ever happened. We're excited about it. And we're actually waiting on a follow-up ruling because the same thing has happened during the Biden administration in 2021. So we'll hopefully get another ruling this week to help another 30 to 40,000 people, including Congratulations. Afghans, by we're, the way. Well, we're going to talk a little later in the show about immigration issues that you're working on. Um, and, and, uh, and as you point out, there's, there are some real similarities between the refugee issues and the immigrant issues you deal with. Uh, we're also really thrilled to introduce, for the first time, on our show, Mayor Beverly Burks, who is the relatively new mayor of the city of Clarkston, which is, I think, Mayor Burks, perhaps the single most diverse uh, city in the United States. I think something like 53 percent of Clarkston's population as of 2018 or so was foreign born, right? Correct. That is correct. And I'm very excited We're really about that. I'm very excited about being mayor of the most diverse city um, because it gives hope and resilience about our community with our new Americans. I always say the minute they come to America, they're no longer a refugee, they're new Americans to instill that dignity to our community. Oh, that's wonderful. You, you uh, told us before the show went on the air that you were actually inaugurated uh, last November on your birthday. Is that right? <laughs> I was. I was. What so, <laughs> a blessing is that. I always tell people I was a cancer survivor. I rang the bell in October, won the election in November, and got sworn in on my birthday. So this, this, <laughs> this season of being mayor is a wonderful, and now I'm running unopposed, so this is great. So I have four years <laughs> to continue the vision. Um, let, let me talk to you about uh, uh, what's going on before we turn to uh, refugees. We always like to ask mayors what the situation with COVID is in their communities. We should also point out that you are the director of community engagement at Fulton DeKalb Hospital Authority, so you are probably more up to speed on these issues than, than many others. What, what is the situation in terms of COVID in the community uh, right now? Well, one of the things that we're doing in terms of Clarkston, um, we, we are ensuring that vaccinations are available to our residents. We have wonderful partnerships with organizations like CORE. And as a city, what we're trying to make sure we do is anytime we have an event, anytime we have any type of opportunity, we always include vaccinations. So that's one of our top priorities is to continue to make sure we make vaccinations available. We have a wonderful relationship with Georgia's, Georgia State University Prevention Research Center. And with that, we are doing proactive activities to encourage people to get vaccinated, get tested, make sure that they watch their health to be prepared for anything as it relates to COVID as well. So we're looking at the trilogy to make sure in terms of diabetes, obesity, and hypertension, we're looking at all of those factors too, because we're looking at the whole health of a person. As a city, we were able to receive from COVID um, funding um, $3.9 million. And with that, for this year, we've allocated funding to make sure in terms of rental assistance, mortgage assistance, utilities assistance, um, business assistance, and we've included 
food drives, health drives, everything related to the person. So we're looking at health and the numbers. The numbers are not where we want them to do, not, not where we would like them to be. But when you look at our area in terms of income, we are achieving much better in terms of the collaboration that we have with nonprofits and the city. So I'm happy that we continuously work together to improve the health of our residents and we provide resources and allocate time for them to get get tested and vaccinated. All right. Well, congratulations on on the work you're doing in in the right uh, direction there. Uh, Kevin, let's talk about uh, refugees. Um, and, and let me start with uh, some figures uh, in the New York Times this morning. I think figures about how many people have already been able to get out of the country, whether they're Americans in, in, in country in Afghanistan, whether they are people trying to flee, Afghans, Afghans trying to flee. Um, uh, and and it, we think there might be something like 2,000 Afghans who have been relocated uh, uh, to the United States as special immigrants uh, in, in I'm not quite sure what time frame that might have started at least uh, to some extent before uh, the uh, takeover by the Taliban. But right now, Kevin, we're told that there are 18,000 people in the process of applying for a special visa program, uh, which is even different from the special visa program. We'll ask Chuck Cook to help us understand all of the complications of this. My point, though, is that we have this enormous backlog. It's very complicated to find your way out of, uh, of the country. Um, General Miley has said we can secure the airport, but we cannot go into Kabul and with American forces and protect people who are trying to get to the airport. This is a heartbreaking tragedy, Kevin. It absolutely is. I mean, and you mentioned that number, Bill, of the 18,000 people who are trying to get visas. And, and again, I think we'll hear from Chuck uh, what the applying for visas and waiting to get them sounds sort of simple and it's nothing close uh, to that. But uh, they, those 18,000 people, according to the Times, have 53,000 relatives who also will mm-hmm. want to come with them. And mm-hmm. that's something that I think in this mountain of statistics we hear in all this confusion, for every person that you, we see in a television interview or we read about, there, there's a family, often a, a large family, attached to them. And so if, if any of us stop and think about what it would be like to, within a couple weeks, instantly try to get our entire family to a whole new country and how hard that would be, I think you can understand the chaos, the confusion, and the heartbreak that's going on. Chuck Cook, um, just for the moment, let's set aside the security issues that are involved with trying to get Afghans who have cooperated with the United States over the years out of the country. And let's just talk about the obstacles to applying for refugee status and how uh, the Biden administration has tried to tinker with them to give more of those people an opportunity to get out, get to the United States. Talk to us about the complications. Yeah, thank you, Bill. You know, there's two things that get confused here. One are the special immigrant visas for translators, uh, those that work with the U.S. military. And then there is the refugee process. These are actually two separate processes that are converging together because of the situation on the ground in Afghanistan. Uh, Typically, when one seeks to become a refugee or one actually is a refugee, uh, they are processed through what's called a refugee settlement center. Uh, There's, uh, I think, five or six of these around the world. There's not one in Afghanistan, just FYI. Uh, 
so these folks will have to be relocated to a place where they can begin the resettlement process. There's nothing in our laws that say they can't do that within the United States. And in fact, that's what the Biden administration is doing for a significant number of people at military bases uh, around the United States, uh, bringing people in, as well as to places with our allies uh, in Europe and around the world. But this process involves obviously verifying who you are, verifying your background, um, uh, deep checks into the reasons for your, for your being in refugee status, because we don't want to resettle people, the theory, we don't want to resettle people who are going to harm the United States. But in our entire history of resettling people since 1952, nobody, none have ever been a terrorist. So this idea that we're bringing terrible people in is it's literally not true. There's literally nothing that supports it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's very, very difficult. Uh, the visa process, just the special immigrant visa process for our troops, has been bogged down in government bureaucracy for decades. Um, and uh, just recently with Congress trying to increase the numbers of, of available each year, the problem isn't the numbers. The problem is the process. Uh, and whether it's management incompetence or simply a, an intentional slow walk is difficult to tell. Uh, but that's what's causing a lot of these problems you're seeing uh, in Afghanistan right now. Uh, Chuck, just one other quick question, if, if I might, um, before we move past just the process. Do we expect that uh, despite the difficulties, the United States will be able to take in um, tens of thousands, possibly, of Afghans who, who worked with the United States during the war? Oh, absolutely. I think we'll see upwards uh, of seventy to 100,000 refugees, uh, especially the translators and their families, coming to the United States. Uh, the wonderful thing is you have governors from around the country. You've got peep, normal human beings. They, of course, bring them. And, you know, the number sounds big, doesn't it? 100,000, 80,000. It, it's a drop in our population bucket. Um, we actually need these people. This actually will be a net gain for America. The mayor, I'm sure, will talk about this. this is a great thing for our country um, that we're going to welcome people. I will tell you one interesting factoid. Uh, Canada has, is going to take 20,000 refugees. If we took a similar number of refugees by population, we'd be bringing a quarter of a million people in. Uh, so it's really very a very good thing that's going on right now. Donna, one of the things that's really been fascinating to watch is that um, uh, Republicans uh, in Georgia have uh, been much more open in expressing their support for bringing some Afghan refugees to the state. Governor Kemp made a statement the other day saying, yes, he would welcome refugees from the, uh, from Afghanistan. And that's interesting because it's in stark contrast to what happened back in 2015 when Governor Nathan Deal, when Syrian refugees were trying to flee Syria's wars, uh, said, we're absolutely going to do nothing to help refugees from Syria get into this country. Uh, we will do put up every block we, block we can. And he, was, he got such fierce pushback that he had to change his tune on that. And now we see the consequences in 2021 with Republicans being supportive of refugees. Yeah, and it may be that the support is because of what happened with Governor Nathan Deal back in 2015. This was for the Syrians after the uh, ter deadly uh, terrorist attacks in Paris. 
and uh, the interest in this, the Syrians coming to this country. And, and yes, he did push back on it. He issued an executive order against it, all of that. And yet um, now we're seeing something different with, um, with Governor Kemp. And Governor Kemp is, um, you know, saying, of course, that he wants them vetted. He wants, you know, anybody coming into the, any Afghans coming in the country, um, we look at them ahead of time, but he's accepting, accepting them. And we've seen that also with some of the candidates, like um, uh, Gary Black, the agriculture commissioner, agricultural commissioner, who is now running for as a Republican against um, uh, Reverend Senator Warnock right now. So, so we're seeing a big change, but we also got those census figures last week, right? that says that the state of Georgia is changing, that we are seeing a, a, a different population of non, um, non-whites in this country, I mean, in the state, and that the governor, um, and in terms of overall in this state, the white population is about 51%. So we're seeing a changing Georgia, and this is possibly a recognition of that. I think, too, that they're uh, against the backdrop of uh, the chance to criticize the president. Um, you know, that I think that that is not a small motivation for Republicans without question. But I want to quickly go back to something that Chuck said, and I know we're going to get to the mayor soon about, about some, some of these things. So, Chuck, one of the things that's been interesting to me is major media organizations, including The New York Times and Washington Post, have written a letter uh, trying to get uh, particular support for journalists in Afghanistan who have assisted American journalism organizations as either interpreters or guides. Mm -hmm. Um, In that situation, this is just a personal curiosity and an example of something going on. How how would that work? Where where does someone like that fit in? They weren't working for the military or the country. They're working for a private organization. But I was actually asked to confirm that someone had worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as part of their effort to to get out of Afghanistan. How does that work? Well, unfortunately, the translators that work for private organizations as opposed to the United States uh, military – are not protected under this SIV program uh, because they're private entities. Uh, and obviously, private entities can sponsor foreign workers to the United States, including journalists. So they obviously could apply for visa status for somebody. But generally, what you're seeing, for example, the call that you received, uh, is an attempt by the State Department uh, to rapidly um, issue either a visitor visa or a, a, a refugee travel document to an individual to come to the United States so they can continue the additional processing they would need. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about refugees and asylees, but that's the kind of person who, if they could get here, could apply for asylum. And I think what they're trying to do is put the right people on the planes as quickly as they can. Um, Honestly, something they should have been doing a long time ago, but I think that's why you're getting a call like that. Mayor Burke, um, Thanks, Chuck. Kev, Kev, Mayor Kevin Riley suggested, that, of course, Republicans are now taking advantage of an opportunity to criticize President Biden for the calamitous way in which the withdrawal left so many people at risk. And, and Democrats are criticizing him as well. Um, but I also wonder about this. You, your work in Clarkston, you have many nonprofit organizations who work with refugees in your community. And by the way, uh, I. You know, if people who live in the metro Atlanta area have never visited Clarkston, like on a Saturday morning to get a cup of coffee, it's a tremendously interesting community that I would recommend you really ought to visit to see the extraordinary diversity. That said, 
I also think that Republicans are mindful of the fact that among the many organizations that work there, the conservative Christian uh, uh, influence there. This is something refugees have been the work of conservative Christian organizations, which are typically Republican leaning. And you have some of that in your community right now. Yes, we do. We have we have churches and other um, nonprofits that are actively working with our refugee population. And so it's a blessing to see that, you know, when you think a lot of them are Republican, but they understand the most important thing is dignity and humanity. And so we're honored that they are working to help our refugees find a place, establish themselves, and be a part of the community. You know, I was on council when we had to go through the whole issue of the Syrian uh, situation. So we were very adamant about that to make sure that we were inclusive of those refugees because, again, Clarkston is the most diverse city per square mile in the United States. And not to allow people who are going through that type of trauma to be allowed to have a new life in the United States was unheard of and unacceptable. And so we fought that then. I'm glad to see that Kemp, even though it's kind of like underhanded, is willing to uh, say, you know, we need to accept and welcome refugees into our community. We are all on the same page that we need to do whatever it takes to ensure humanity is given to those people who are trying to get out of the country. So you can explain what you mean by somewhat underhanded. I think one of the issues, of course, is that Kemp went out of his way to say, we're going to vet these people very, very carefully. Don't worry, we're not going to let terror. I mean, essentially, the message was unspoken. Don't worry, we're not going to let terrorists uh, into uh, the state of Georgia. I suspect that's what you're talking well, about. Well, it's that, too, and it's an opportunity to take a dig at uh, President Biden's foreign Biden, policy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so and so, yeah. you know, when you can have an opportunity to, you know, do something popular and right, but also take a dig at the other party, you, you take that opportunity. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we create a process for the Afghans to be able to come to the country. I'm um, just just so you know, I talked to one of our resettlement agencies, and two nights ago, they were actually to have a family come into the Clarkston, Atlanta area. So we're starting that process now of having some of the refugees come into the Georgia community. You already have an Afghan family that fled uh, in, in settling in Clarkston right now? Yes. Yes. I, I reached out um, to one of our refugee resettlement agencies. And they were saying two nights ago they were able to place a family here in the Clarkston, Atlanta area. Uh, Kevin, you know, uh, there's been a lot of good reporting. Uh, Our news organization, yours, have done some good reporting. One of of the stories that really stood out for me was in this morning's uh, AJC, uh, uh, quoting people who are either Afghani Living in the United Afghans living in the United States or uh, children of those who are uh, from Afghanistan. And one of the people that your report has talked to was someone identified only as Umir. Uh, didn't want to give a last name. Umir was worked with the American forces uh, up until 2000. Uh, he started working with them in 2010. He said after uh, seeing friends who were killed by the Taliban. And he's, he talked about the fact that the U.S. military personnel were very kind to him. They supported his efforts to finish college. 
He finished his work with the U.S. military in 2013, and by the, by the next year, he got into the United States thanks to the special immigrant visa program. But his family is still trapped in Afghanistan and cannot get out, Kevin. And those are the kinds of personal tragedies which we're watching unfold. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, as this, again, as this story develops and becomes more real, um, you know, the mayor mentioned uh, that a family has been, I think she used the word placed, you know, and I think understanding what all that means and, and, uh, you know, like Chuck, I mean, I'd toss it to you. So this guy we wrote about, um, Mm -hmm. he's here, but his family's not. I mean, what's your best assessment of what he's trying to do and, and what it's like for him and what the complications of what needs to happen in order to reunite with his family? Well, first of all, this is not the only guy that has this problem. Um, this is actually a very common problem in which the principals are out and their families are not here. Uh, we actually represent an individual exactly like this living here in Utah, uh, whose family is a wife and four children are stuck in Afghanistan and cannot get out. Uh, it's really ultimately an issue of processing. Uh, it's the Department of State, not the Immigration Service, uh, but the Department of State who bears the burden of doing this. Uh, they clearly have intentionally slow walked the process. They have not given any sense of urgency to protecting women and children along with the translators that work with them. Uh, it has been, uh, they, we honestly, we've sued them about 20 times on these cases for individuals over the course of the last 10 years just to get them moving. And it shouldn't take a federal court order uh, or a filing to get the Department of State to do the job. Honestly, I can't explain to you, through, through different administrations, this is not a Republican Democrat. This is actually a, a bureaucracy problem. Uh, and I cannot explain to you why they don't understand the extraordinary harm caused by inaction. But uh, you see it right there, evident uh, and demonstrated in the article. Um, Donna, you, you brought up the uh, political uh, implications of all this, and it's certainly true that uh, Republicans are pounding President Biden and Democrats uh, here in Georgia uh, over the, uh, the, the chaos that's uh, going on over there. Uh, Gary Black, you mentioned, Gary Black has already produced an ad attacking Raphael Warnock. Uh, he, he and I'll, I don't have the audio, but I'll, I'll just read you quickly the, the transcript of the ad. This is Gary Black, candidate for the U.S. Senate. I was in high school when our embassy in Saigon fell. On some Sunday, America's embassy in Afghanistan was evacuated. This is Saigon 2.0. Uh, he talks about the Biden administration. He calls it weakness on uh, dealing with this. He says, I challenge my opponent, Senator Raphael Warnock, who said not a word as this crisis unfolded to join me in calling for the evacuation of American allies marked for brutality or execution by the Taliban, especially women and girls. And he goes on from there. And it is interesting that uh, Warnock and, and Asaf have focused their attention on the humanitarian needs now of the people who are enemies of the Taliban, but have not uh, spoken out it's suggesting even in a mild way that this was uh, the, that the administration did not handle this well. Yeah, this puts them in a really um, precarious position in terms of going after the Biden administration on this. And, you know, we saw the numbers with um, 
President Biden's numbers have certainly dropped, his popularity numbers. Is, um, so I think that they're, um, they're trying to find ways to help uh, Ossoff and Warnock, I should say, are trying to find ways to get involved and help. And the humanitarian area, um, area works for them as opposed to focusing on uh, some of the problems that have um, come up because of this under the Biden administration. So I think we, we probably will, will continue to see them do that, although they'll, um, they'll, get, they'll, they'll be uh, pulled in, certainly, by the Republicans to try to get into this argument over where the failures were in all of this. But I think they will continue to focus on more of the humanitarian areas of um, just helping to bring people into this country, making sure that um, that the U.S. Is, shores up its uh, look um, nationally, internationally, when it comes to what happened over there in Afghanistan in such a short period of time. Mayor Brooke, let me give you the last word before we have to get to our break. Yes. Well, as far as the Ossoff and Warnock, I think, again, it's important for them to focus on what can we do to protect these people and get them to safety. And so forget all the rhetoric. We're looking at lives at stake. And so the most important thing that we can do as a nation is focus on making sure we do right by these people who did right by us when we needed them. All right. Um, let's get our first break of the show out of the way. We'll come back, talk a little bit more about the situation in Afghanistan, particularly as it relates to Georgia. And then we're going to talk about uh, immigration and some of the issues that continue to uh, create some uh, difficulties at the southern border. You're listening to Political Rewind. Kevin Riley, immigration attorney Chuck Cook, Donna Lowry, a host of the lawmakers of lawmakers, and uh, Clarkson Mayor Beverly Burks join us uh, for political rewind today. Kevin, I said that the, the other image besides the chaos uh, at the Kabul airport that really struck me this morning was this long line of refugees wearing Afghan clothing, uh, in some cases hijabs and. Uh, and, and, and I thought, here they are standing on the tarmac at an airport, at an airport in Spain. They're, the disorientation must be overwhelming. Um, and I just can't help but f- feel this. You know, uh, it's one thing to start getting the ability to leave a country. It's another uh, to figure out what the heck you do with your life next. Bill, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, some of us have to muster up a lot of courage just to go on vacation in another country. Um, and uh, imagine having to pick up everything you have and own and love and go to uh, maybe not even know which place you're going to end up. And so that's what I wanted to ask Mayor Burks about this. You had mentioned earlier in our conversation about one of the uh, agencies in, in Clarkston letting you know that they had placed a family or placed a group of I mean, for regular people listening, what does that exactly mean, and and where do they where does the family go from there? Well, thank you. Um, if you sit back, and I'm glad you made that point. Just think about being dropped somewhere where you don't know the language, don't know the culture, um, and we have our resettlement organizations that bring in the people once they go through the process. 
Um, they usually have them between 30 to 90 days. And within that time, they have to establish residency in terms of having a place to live. They work towards making sure that they have a job. And then that's when the real work begins because now they have to learn the language. Um, now they have to get their children in school. Everything happens in light speed. And what happens is typically we have nonprofit organizations that are there to guide them through this process. They equate, they get themselves acquainted with people who are from their community. Um, usually when they are located here, they may potentially have relatives who are already here. And so it's a way to reunite them. But through this entire process, you know, they're still getting acclimated into the United States. And so our government, in terms of the city of Clarkston, works collectively with the resettlement agencies and those nonprofits to help people go through this process. And it is a journey. It is a constant journey. Um, you see children who acclimate themselves a little bit better because they can catch on to the languages. But think about someone who may be 50, 60 years old coming here to the United States and being and having to learn a new language. You know, we sometimes struggle with our own jargon that we use when we talk. Imagine what that is like for someone else. And so we are grateful as a city, we have come together for one purpose, and that is to be a welcoming city. We have always been a welcoming city for more than 30 years in terms of our new Americans, our refugees, our immigrants, to provide them a place where they can feel at home. And we balance that out between the, our native-born Americans as well so that people understand Clarkston is a place of resilience. It's like our motto. It's where possibilities grow. And so that's why it is so great. We're grateful to see the opportunity for our Afghans to come and be a part of this American community. Um, Chuck Cook, uh, we're going to talk about immigration issues in a moment. And to kind of help us uh, make the turn, we're used to these days spending a lot of time hearing about and talking about asylum seekers at the southern border and the issues that are involved with whether asylum seekers get to, and the Trump administration, they were kept south of the border. Uh, the Biden administration is now saying we will accept them across in, in our uh, country while they await processing. What's the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee? You know, Bill, I actually spent an entire hour in my class at the Emory Law School talking about that exact question. But really simply, it's this. A refugee is someone who's outside the country seeking uh, the ability to stay in your country uh, for protection, whereas an asylum seeker is somebody who's in your country or at your border seeking the exact same thing. That's simple. The easiest way to think about it uh, is one is outside. Now, interestingly enough, refugees are completely vetted before they enter the United States, whereas asylum seekers generally vet themselves, so to speak, before they come to the United States. But, but again, during the Trump administration, the asylum seekers were uh, sent back across the border uh, to await processing, as opposed to what yeah. now the Biden administration is doing, right? Uh, they were, although that was not legal, according to our own laws, <laughs> um, right, right. which is why the Biden administration ended that process, yes. Although, I'm okay, I just... A second, go ahead, but uh, a federal judge just changed that, so that should be interesting. 
see how that works. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to. You know what? I, why don't we do this? Why don't we get our final break out of the show out of the way right now and come back and talk a bit more about immigration issues with our panel? Uh, you're listening to Political Rewind. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Kevin, um, about a week or so ago, the AJC reported a story which captured my attention, and I've been waiting for a while to hear what Chuck Cook has to say about this, which um, was a report based on a study done uh, by an organization called uh, uh, Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse. It's a function of Syracuse University. And uh, it suggested uh, uh, that... According to data compiled uh, from immigration court records, there are more than 40,000 pending deportation cases in Georgia at the end of May of 2021, but only about 15,000 of them had attorney representation, meaning the odds of being represented in a high-stakes deportation case stand at around 39%. Kevin, one of the lowest percentages of attorneys per client in the country. Yeah, that was a, an interesting report. I'm anxious to see what Chuck has to say. And 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 I guess you know um, another part of all this, right, is the the mood swings we seem to have as a country about uh, people inviting people to become as as Mayor Burks refers to them, new Americans, right? Because the southern border was arguably the one of the most divisive issues in the country. And remains divisive, but certainly during the Trump administration, it was it was highlighted, and and now because of the uh, crisis in Afghanistan, it seems like a very different mood has taken over. So, um, uh, Chuck, uh, I mean, <laughs> explain what happens in those cases and why having an attorney can be so important, right? Uh, Chuck, let me add this to the conversation. Um, the reason there apparently are such low odds, and you'll tell me if this is correct or not, is in part because we have a much larger percentage of uh, immigrants awaiting uh, processing uh, or, or deep possible deportation already in detention. And when you're in detention, you are the least likely to be able to obtain counsel. Is all of that correct, Chuck? Well, it, it's all correct in context. I would note that I'm very grateful that uh, Candidate Black is now advocating for resettling refugees in Georgia. That's a, an awesome ad for him to run. Um, but uh, the idea of representation, see the mayor's laughing at that, uh, but the idea of representation in immigration court is quite interesting. With 40,000 pending cases, you have to understand that we only detain right now in the Georgia courts there's about 3,000 people detained between the detention facilities in Stewart and folks. And so there's still 37,000 people that are out and well more than half do not have legal counsel. But there's a reason for that. And it's not because there aren't enough lawyers here, although we can always use more good immigration lawyers. Uh, it's really the simple fact is they don't have a court date. Uh, it, the vast majority of people in the Atlanta court system have a date to go to court. So if you don't have a date to go to court, why do you need a lawyer? Uh, we People are being set right now for 2023 and 2024 for initial hearings uh, in their cases. Uh, and in fact, yesterday, the Biden administration announced a new initiative uh, to reduce that significantly by authorizing the USCIS 
asylum officers to do asylum hearings rather than immigration, waiting for an immigration judge in some year in the future. That actually is a really good move forward. And what you'll see, uh, I think, as hearings move up, as people come closer to having dates, uh, they will engage counsel uh, as part of this. Uh, there, there are enough lawyers right now to help people, but really the question is there's no urgency to do so for a lot of folks. Uh, but, but again, Donna, one of the issues here is when you're kept in detention in an area so far from a metropolitan, from Metro Atlanta, um, the Stewart Detention Center, whatever, uh, it's just difficult for attorneys to be able to deal with. Most of the attorneys are going to obviously come out of Metro Atlanta. Yeah, not only that, you're still dealing with the uh, COVID protocols that are still in place. I mean, the the Atlanta area right now is still trying to figure out how to, to conduct jury trials. So you've got you've got the whole court system still trying trying to ramp up. Yet this Delta variant and what we're seeing going on with COVID has you know continues to be a problem. So they're trying to keep things going. And so you've got that going on. And then you've got attorneys trying to, to help people at these uh, resettlement areas. I think it's going to be really difficult for the next few months with all that's going on in this country to, to try to get through the bureaucracy that Chuck has talked about, but that also these other factors such as the COVID-19 uh, problem that continues, continues to plague our, the world. Well, one of the things the immigration courts have done to deal with COVID, because there are no jury trials in immigration court, is they now have WebEx trials. Uh, mm-hmm. So they'll have the detainee down in Stewart, the judges in Atlanta, the lawyers in their office. And I think personally that's abhorrent, uh, a abhorrent way to run a system, especially when somebody's life is literally at stake. Uh, but immigration courts have been running on, on the, the final hearing part of the, ca- the cases for almost a year at this point uh, using this process. Uh, but I think the bigger problem, as Bill points out, is the detention centers are so are located so far away that just meeting with your client becomes difficult. And having a detailed legal conversation or preparing testimony over a crummy phone from a detention center, and anybody who's talked to anybody in detention knows what I'm talking about, really, I think, is a per se violation of due process rights for these folks, making it even more difficult to secure the relief that many of them are, in fact, entitled to. Mayor Burks, um, it's interesting when I look at the population figures for Clarkston, I think I'm right in saying that of of that 50 plus percent who are foreign born, uh, your Hispanic population is relatively small. You're not seeing an influx of immigrants from across the southern border the way other sections of Georgia are. Am I right about that? That is correct. Mostly you will see our Asian, the poly groups, our um, Congolese. You see those African countries as well as our Middle Eastern and Asian countries in the United States. And just another point, I've been to Stewart detention and and, and seen Mm. the conditions there. And so when you talk about the level of humanity and providing opportunities for people to have due process, it is an issue. It really is. And so, you know, when you have a young man who's never really been in his native country being told he's going to be deported, those are the sites that you see when you deal with those people in the the detention center. I wanted to ask this of you, Mayor Burks, and I think Chuck may want to chime in. But, you know, we have 
I'm sure. I mean, I just know how the listeners of this show are and how passionate they are. Um, so I do think people will be interested to know how they personally might be able to help or if there's something they ought to do. But also, when, for both of you, starting with Mayor Burks, when a refugee or a refugee family it comes, comes here, what are the keys for them for it to work out well? I mean, do you have a story of a family that's been successful and what factors matter and what helps the most when it comes to people who are trying to make this incredible and overwhelming change to their circumstance? Well, thank you for that question. I think what really helps is if that family has a sponsor, like a U.S. sponsor to help them guide them throughout the process. Again, we have nonprofit organizations and other entities out there, but if they have someone who can help them through the process, answer questions, just be that person to leverage in terms of information, that is very helpful. And I'll give you a perfect example. I remember one time I was in the bank and this this man came in and he was excited. Well, first he was excited. He bought a car on a credit card because it's at 0% financing, not understanding that in the next month it was going to kick in into terms of 30% uh, in terms of the rate. And so not understanding things like how do you deal with finances, not understanding how do you deal with the common day-to-day things that we take for granted, not understanding what and how to deal with just living, it helps when you have a community. And so one of the other things that I, I do is I work with our community leaders to make sure in terms of information, access, and resources. Those are things that are critical to making sure that our families are able to be established and thrive. You know, even though we are very, we have been historically very generous as a country um, that did, and I, I will tell you something that I think will shock you, uh, the Trump administration obviously reduced the number of refugees, but this year, one in which President Biden will have been president for nine months, we will accept the lowest number of refugees in our, in, since 1952. Less than 8,000 will actually be resettled, not counting any influx of Afghans that may come. Uh, the bigger problem is we are very we are not generous uh, when it comes to how we treat refugees once they get here. Uh, they get a minimal stipend for six months, depending on their family size, and then we say, "Good luck, have a great life." Um, and absent the extraordinary services of refugee resettlement organizations uh, like Catholic Charities and Lutheran Immigrant Family Services. These folks would literally be on the street. So we, we need to also relook at how we how we treat refugees after they get here. This is why it's so awesome to see people coming forward and say, yes, they can live with me. Yes, I can help them. The more people that can help individual families, the more successful they will be here. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I, I don't mean to bounce back and forth between refugees and immigration, uh, but we're, we're running out of time. And, and I do, Chuck, before we do, want to get you to react just very briefly, because we are short of time, uh, to the news uh, that, that broke yesterday. I'll read the, the lead from the Yahoo News story on this. The Biden administration on Wednesday has proposed a major overhaul to the U.S. asylum system that would speed up processing, a move that comes as migrant apprehensions at the U.S. southern border have reached a 21-year high. Is that a welcome uh, development, Chuck? 
Uh, this actually is a brilliant piece of regulatory rulemaking uh, that well, nobody saw coming. Uh, it's very satisfying to see the administration thinking outside the box. And that, that rulemaking is actually from not just the Immigration Service, but from the Department of Justice. Uh, this is a way we're going to be able to get quicker asylum hearings, uh, reduce the backlog in courts. Their only little tiny problem is they're going to need to hire about 500 asylum officers. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to do that uh, in, in, a, in a relatively short order. It's a very difficult job, uh, one I personally would not want to have, uh, but I think it could be a game changer for how quickly we can process people. Um, all right. I, uh, uh, how can you become a sponsor is a question Sam Burmistaus just suggested that we ask. Uh, can one of you respond to that, Mayor? Well, you can work, again, with our, our resettlement agencies. Um, they do a wonderful job with that in terms of connecting people. But we also have our nonprofit organizations that will definitely work with you to be a part of the community. So I strongly encourage you to do that. Um, think about how you can empower our residents and be that person that they can leverage in terms of your knowledge and your ability to help them network through the channels that we have to go through. Okay. As if we haven't jumped around enough in the last few minutes on topics, Donna, I'm going to throw out one that you may not have even seen yet. The jolt just came out and the AJC is reporting. uh, Well, it's fine. You'll be able to react. The AJC is reporting that Trump and his allies are trying to get David Perdue to take on Georgia enemy number one, Brian Kemp, in the Republican primary <laughs> for wow. governor. Wow. That, that is, everybody's that is laughing on that news. one. That, that does change everything. And it becomes, well, it becomes a big story if, uh, if that is happening. Yeah. Yeah, well, we should point out, Kevin, that the Jolt also reports that David Perdue has expressed no interest in this at this point. Uh, But who knows? And, of course, the ultimate irony is it was the Perdue uh, cousins who gave uh, Brian Kemp his uh, uh, entree to Donald Trump uh, when he first ran for governor. So, Kevin, interesting story. Yeah, I think that in the end, the Republicans will be uh, much more focused on making sure that Brian Kemp can be reelected. They don't want to get into a nasty primary. All right. Uh, thank you all for jumping back and forth on topics, and I uh, appreciate it a great deal. Uh, Mayor Burks, come back. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show this first time. Chuck Cook, you know we always like having you and Donna Lowry as well. Kevin Riley, I'll see you again next week. Uh, as we leave today, one quick note about tomorrow. I don't know about you. I I've been feeling a little depressed lately because COVID is so much back with us again. There's a sort of malaise, I think, that has affected a lot of people, which means tomorrow we're going to bring on our panel of psychotherapists and psychiatrists to talk about what we need to do to get ourselves back into a better frame of mind. We'll take on that on the show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Yes, wear your mask when you're indoors and a lot of people are around you. And tell your friends if they haven't been vaccinated, it's time to do it. See you all tomorrow. Thanks, panel.